of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace podcast, part two in the second Bane series. And I'm with my friend, Brandon. Everyone knows you as Stu McGuire, former bass player for Bane, Reach the Sky, and I'm sure several others that we will touch on in your <laughs> early years. <laughs> How are you feeling first and foremost? Uh, First and foremost, I'm doing good. I feel good. Um, for anyone that doesn't know by this point, uh, I was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer in September and uh, kind of shaken our world a little bit over here. And we've just been powering through. My wife is amazing and is keeping this ship running and keeping us together. And the outcry and support of all of my friends the hardcore community, it's been unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, we were just mentioning, I wanted to just take a second before we went back and started talking about our paths to thank um, Sonny and Zach, Bedard, Dahlback, uh, Bobby and James for the fundraiser that they just did for me. They, uh, around the release of their, of the final show. Um, you know, they could have done anything yeah. with that. And to wake up the other day and see what they did was just overwhelming. And to hit the goal, and now we can actually all see the show. They're supposed to, right. there's going to be a, the date is coming. They were just yes. trying to see it, agree know. upon how we can get everybody together to kind of watch it all and be able to chat with kids or something online. Oh, uh, that would be great. I was there and it was amazing. What yeah. an amazing, amazing! Yeah, show. no, I was, I was there both days. Oh, I know you were there. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, I brought in all the backline for all the opening bands and like took care of all the, the in between, like I, not stage managers, but just helped out, like get everything together. Yeah, um, yeah, it was fun. It was cool to do. It was great that it was at the Palladium. They were trying. Uh, to find some other place. I went with Bobby on a couple adventures to some sketchy like roller skating rinks and other places to figure out if we could do a show there. And I was like, dude, just do it at the Palladium. They have everything there already. Yeah, and it's like full circle for you guys in the middle of Worcester and all that. It's, it's, it's full circle yeah. and there too, you know? What an amazing show. Um, yeah, also, before we get into, like you said, our past and stuff like that, um, the goal was $25,000 and the final Bane show via Hate Five Six will be released. Right. It hit the goal and surpassed the goal within 24 hours. Um, so, yes, the final show is, they'll figure out a date, but the fundraiser is still going. 
So if you want to donate anything, go to hate56.com. It's H-A-T-E, the number five, and S-I-X.com slash stew, S-T-U. Again, hate56.com slash stew and donate. Um, Defeater did a run of shirts as well, but I think that the, the, I think that run he is did. over. I grabbed yep. one as soon as I nice. saw them. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. yeah, it was. A, it was a, a knockoff of holding of the, the count me out. Yeah, the count me out shirt. Yeah, I want to thank Derek and all those guys. That was amazing as well. Yeah, I mean, just the whole outcry of like the hardcore scene. Everybody that hit me up and sent me text messages and sent me you know, direct messages and stuff. Yeah. All the kind words and everything. Yeah. I can't, I can't ever say thank you enough. Right. You know what I mean? It's just, it's been so amazing. It's yeah. just so, it just helps so much. It takes so much pressure off us, you know, trying to figure out what we're doing and how we're doing it. And opens up the options to so many alternative, you know, treatments with the standard chemo and, doesn't work anymore you know it's, it's i can't even i could go on the whole night thanking I, I believe what i believe it was dollback dollback's episode that i was doing and he was saying like lack of a better term but if you're going to get sick like boston is like the best place you can be yeah so it is which is, just so a, strange, to- which is a strange sentence in and of itself but i get it you got to go to the right hospital though Right. Okay. I started out, I started out at my local hospital. I won't drop any names, you know, because I'm still bitter about it, (laughs) but, uh, as you have every right to be, I was sick, you know, in the beginning, like in February of night of 2019, like I felt, I started to get kind of sick, you know, and I was telling my wife one day that I just got this pain in my, my chest and my, you know, my lower stuff, my right under my, uh, you can't see it. That's, I'm, making the signal there, but you know, like I just got this pain. It just feels weird. And you know, I went to my, my doctor and um, you know, they did tests or whatever. And they said, yeah, you, you know, probably indigestion or something and kind of sent me away. And um, in St. Patrick's day, actually, I got really, really sick. And I went to the doctor the next day and they took a bunch of tests. I went, I woke up the next Tuesday, that Tuesday, and the doctor called me at like seven in the morning. I was like, you need to go to the emergency room. Like your levels, my liver and kidney levels were like through the roof. Yeah. So I went to the emergency room in the hospital right down the street from my house, which is connected to my primary care doctor and everything. I was there all day and they were just like, by the end of the day, they were like, oh, you can go. Hmm. What? Yeah. What did you mean? What you doing? Like, were you? Like, and they're like, oh, it looks like you had a gallstone and you passed it. You're, you'll be fine. You know, if it still hurts in a, in a week, call us back. Right. You know what I mean? But go home. So I just did this process of like going to my primary care doctor every two weeks and starting over again. I went to a gastroologist and he did a, like a scope, put a camera down, looked at my stomach and everything. Did they go up your nose and down your throat? No, they went straight down my mouth. Okay. Like, yeah, I gotta, so when you're done, I have a story. So you can. <laughs> and so this dude like does it. And at the end of it, you know, like I get the results and I'm talking to him and I'm like, well, did you check my, 
um, like my pancreas and my gallbladder, because that was what they were saying was swollen when, you know, I was in the emergency room and he was like, no, no, I checked your stomach. You know, you have a, like a, looks like you have a irritation in your stomach. It's probably from, you know, stress from your job. So I'm not going to tell you, you should quit your job, but you know, like you should probably reduce your stress kind of thing. And I was like completely blown away and like not psyched about this. And he's looking at me and he goes, well, just put it this way. At least you don't have cancer. And I was just like, yeah, well, I go, you know what? Put it in perspective. That's true. Right. So in se September, finally, after fucking months of going to the doctor and getting tests and scans, my, like my primary care doctor had me get an MRI on my back thinking that I had like nerve damage in my spine that was causing this pain. And like, I was just to the point where like, I couldn't fucking breathe more it hurt so bad like i was taking 4500 milligrams of tylenol every day and you know just trying to get through the day to just be able to lay down <clears throat> excuse me so i went to i went to work and one of my colleagues at work i work right in south boston in the seaport area and he was just like go to mass general man every time i saw him he was like you look like shit you look you know like there's something wrong with you you gotta like yeah. and i was losing five to 10 pounds a month at this point. Like I was just going down, like it was crazy. And so I went to MGH, I spent 24 hours in the, uh, in the emergency room, which was crazy. It's the weaning process over there for crazies. It's oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, uh, I went to MGH and my doc, the doctor that came in, he was just like, so what's going on? And I took my phone and I opened up my primary cares like website or whatever. And I handed him the phone and I just said, this is what I've been going, this is what I've had done for the last six months. I go, I don't know what to say. Like, I can't live like this anymore. I'm in right. so much pain. And so he was like, well, this is amazing. You know, thank you. Because it was a different like healthcare provider. So they didn't have like a history on me or anything. So I had the last six months just right there. And he, uh, he was like, well, we're gonna give you, have you ever heard of a vascular scan? No. So he's like, well, we're going to give you a vascular scan. And if that doesn't work, you know, we'll figure something out. But he goes, he just looked at me and he goes, we're not going to let you leave here until we figure out what's wrong with you. You know, like, he, nice. like, believe me, saw like the look of horror in my face at like this point, I think the long list of every scan and everything I've done. And so I think it was about, I got the scan at like one in the morning and it was about 6 a.m. where a doctor came to visit me. <coughs> And excuse me, it was just like, so we found um, one of my like arteries or a vessel or something was like stuck closed. And he's like, so that will either take like surgery or you'll just need to take like baby aspirin for it to be okay. And I was like, okay, cool. And he left and I was sitting there kind of confused. And I think I called my wife at that point. And was like, I'm never going to the fucking hospital again. Oh. Yeah. Like this is, they're going to tell me that I'm fine and they're going to send me out of here. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I okay. don't know. And then this woman came up to me and was like, Mr. McGuire, has any of the doctors come and talk to you? And I was like, yeah, this guy just came up and said that I had uh, like a closed artery valve or artery or vessel or something. And she just went um, like, would you mind, sir? Could you, you know, please come with me? and brought me into another room and sat me down and was like, you have a 6.2 centimeter tumor on your pancreas. 
Like it's, you know, and we're going to admit you and we're going to do some tests today to find out if it's cancer. So I called my wife back and told her like, I'm, I'm going to be here for a while. So she called her sister and her sister came down to watch the kids and she came to the emergency room by like 7.30 in the morning or eight, no, like 8.30 or like she got, you know, or got the kids to school at least and then came to, uh, to sit with me. And like that, I, I had to wait for a bed. So I was in the emergency room sitting in like the emergency room there, like there's a, a certain amount of private rooms, but then there's like this public sitting area. So I was sitting in a chair, like next to a dude with his eye bleeding, <laughs> like another guy, like, you know what I mean? Like you just like the shit that like you see. In the oh, I, was there. I know all about that shit. Yeah. I was there from 5 PM on Tuesday to 6 PM on Wednesday before I finally got into a, a room at wow. the hospital. And then the next day was just all a bunch of tests. They did another, um, an endoscopy on me or biopsy to check. But they knew, you know, like the blood, there's a blood test for pancreatic cancer. And like my numbers were, you know, normal is 35 or below. And my numbers were like 3,200, you know. So one doctor was like, we're pretty sure it is cancer, you know. And at this stage, it was just my pancreas. So when I met my doctors, they were like, we're going to we're gonna hit you with chemo. We're going to hit you with radiation. We're going to do a surgery. You know, it's stage one. So we're able to you know and they don't believe in stages there they don't say but you know like you'll you'll be we're gonna get you you're gonna you're gonna recover from this you're gonna be we're five years ahead of the game and the, the first thing my radiologist said to me he goes you know anything about pancreatic cancer and i was like no not really he goes don't look it up <laughs> you know? oh, like, God. Don't, don't read about it don't bog yourself down with it like we're five years ahead of everybody and we're gonna get you right you know and this guy he's looking at me he's my age you know what i mean it's so rare to get it at this young of an age that how old, how old do you feel my man I'm, I'm your age i'm 44 so, okay. you know and uh so we didn't find out until like a week later that it spread to my liver when they did another um biopsy because i was going to be in like a, a case study and like a test study or whatever so when it spread to my liver, that's when it becomes stage four. And that's when they were kind of like, okay, so now we're going to give you chemo and we're going to hope for the best. You know, like it depends on how you respond to it. I'm on like this borderline kind of where if I can get the tumors, get rid of the tumors in my liver, we can go back to that initial plan of getting the surgery that they do and hopefully, you know, be able to to live longer, you know, at that point. So now I've already hit, I've hit one milestone in the research that I'm not supposed to look up. The average, like less than 7% of people make it through the first four to nine months. Really? Of being diagnosed. So I've passed that, I'm 10 months in, you know, I'll be at a year in September and I'm doing well with, the treatment so so yeah thank god the funny thing the the one the the funny thing about all of it was we you know so i was in the hospital until the friday 
And, you know, they confirmed everything on Wednesday. So my wife and I spent all day Thursday, like just kind of calling friends and people really close to us and letting them know what was going on. And I remember I called Bedard and I was just like, you know, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm in the hospital and I just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he was just like, well, you're calling people yourself to tell them that you have cancer. He's like, that's fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, I go, I don't know, man. Like, we're going to do everything we can and we're going to do the best we can, you know, whatever. And that Friday night, I got out like Friday afternoon and I think it was like Zach, Carla, Pete, Pete's wife, Carla, my friend Tony, um, Bedard came out. And we all went to this restaurant in Cambridge that's right next to a club. And H2O was playing that night. So we're all, we just, I got out of the hospital. I was like, fuck it, let's go to H2O. <laughs> yeah. So, so the night I got the, you know, two days after I got diagnosed with cancer, I got the day I got out of the hospital, we went to fucking H2O. You went to out my hardcore show. And just fucking sat in the back. And when they played One Life, One Chance, I bawled my fucking eyes out by myself in the corner. You know, like just like it all kind of like hit me because, you know, I'm running in all these people that I know and I'm not ready to tell anybody yet. So it's like, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you yeah. doing? You know, yeah. how are you? Hey, everything's good. What's up? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> September and October and was rough, but like. We went, you know, my wife set up, my friend Josh and uh, Bedard come, would come to chemo with us on Wednesdays. I go, I go every other Wednesday and I do it until Friday. So I spend eight hours in the hospital on Wednesday. And then they send me home with my little carrier bag filled with a fucking pump and a bag of medicine and I sit at home all day Thursday and then I go back to the hospital on Friday and they pump me with uh, fluids and they give me like some shot to boost my immune system fuck but that's my you know well that's my cancer story oh my god well thank I mean hats off to you hats off to the hospital hats off to your family man you yeah. know, it, uh, it's having, having yeah. people by your side like that is a lot, man. Oh, dude, my wife, like when uh, we met with the doctors the first time, like we have a friend who married a, um, who married a doctor. But he does like research. He like works with like babies and stuff. But like the day before we met, they came over to the house and she like had a list of questions, was asking him everything and going through all this stuff and all these notes. We showed up at this meeting with my three doctors, the surgeon, the, uh, the, ortho, the uh, oncologist, and the radiologist. And we sit down, and there's a couple other people in the room. And we sit down, and they're like, oh, you know, thanks for meeting with us. We want to go through, you know, do you guys have anything that you want to talk about or this and that? My wife pulls out, like, a fucking trapper keeper. <laughs> like, notebook. And just opens it up and starts like flipping through the pages and, you know, going, you know, Dr. Hong, um, you wrote a paper in 2006 about vitamin D. 
do you still believe that blah, 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 blah. Like and the wow. doctor was like, this is amazing. Like, I wish more people would bring notes, you know, and like yeah. questions. She like interviewed them for, you know, a good 20 minutes of like, like giving, like making sure that they had her permission to treat me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nice. She was That's ready awesome, to, man. And I was just like, at the end of it, I looked at her and I was like, geez, I guess you really want me to live. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, like, what an ass! Uh, like, <laughs> like, I guess, I guess you're you're in my corner. Like this was your out. You know, we've been married for 16 years. You had your chance. Oh man, so, that's hysterical, yeah. but that's all. That's beautiful, though, man. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I I couldn't do any of this without her. All right, fuck. Jesus Christ! I was gonna tell my own little stupid little pancreatitis no, story, but I, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Oh, you want to hear this? Yeah, oh my I want to hear it. It's like now all of a sudden it's about my stupid pancreas over that that story that you just told. No, me. you don't understand. All I talk about with my parents now is our ailment. So it's I want to hear it. <laughs> it's the ailment episode. It's the ailment episode. What's fucked up with you? <laughs> Actually, thank God, knock on wood. Right now, I think I'm okay. But years ago. I used to drink a lot. I mean, I'm so, I mean, I had my bouts here and there, but I used to drink a lot. And um, now I'm sober. Like October will be six years, but I had like I went crazy like for like four years. But before that, I had seven years completely sober. But I got sober for the first time in 2004. But um, back before I joined the military, I was I was going crazy. Um, and it was one day. I, I, I'm not gonna. Take, take a long time to tell it, but after a really, really, really rough patch of drinking like a maniac, um, I remember my, I was still living with my parents before I joined the military. I think I was 19, and they were like away in Florida or something, and I drew like this half a party in my house. And the next day I woke up, I was on my stepfather's floor in his office. Everyone else was gone. I could hardly move. I was like, ah, oh, baby, you know, my stomach, my stomach. I couldn't go to, not to be gross, but I couldn't go to the bathroom. Nope. Um, I was like, all right, well, maybe if I drink another beer, it'll set things off. I'll go to the bathroom, yeah, whatever. Hair of the dog. A cup of coffee or something, maybe get things going. Nothing, nothing. As the day went on, I got progressively, progressively worse. I'm in the fetal position. Can't move. Stomach is killing me. My stomach is just getting swollen. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Finally, because I hate hospitals. I, I don't like doctors. Um, I wound up, I didn't even drive. I called a car service way before Uber and all this. I called a taxi cab and I went to North Shore Hospital in Long Island. I don't know why I went from, from Queens at the time to Long Island. I have no idea. But I wound up there and they had no idea what was going on. Now, mind you, this is like 1995. Right. So technology has come a long way. Yep. So they didn't know what was going on. Um, they did, and it's called an exploratory laparoscotomy, which is basically don't know what's going on with you, but we're going to gut you like a fish. Yeah, we're going to cut you in half and see what's inside. Right. So <laughs> I have a scar. It's about seven inches long. It's about four inches above my belly button, goes around my belly button and continues down. They didn't know what was going on. Turns out they said I had acute pancreatitis. Yep. Um, 
the doctor asked me, now, mind you, at the time, I'm like 19. The doctor asked me if I drank a lot. Yeah. And I said, yes. And he was like, well, as we know right now, the two main causes for pancreatitis are gallstones and yeah. heavy alcohol consumption. And you, sir, do not have gallstones. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess that's good to hear. But yes, I am a friggin' lush at this yeah. point in my life. So, so yeah, so uh, I was in the hospital. And at the time, you know, I, I wasn't really a drug guy. I was mostly a, a booze hound. And there was no regulations or anything. And, and I, I kind of laughed in my head. I laughed because you said you were sitting next to a guy whose eye was bleeding. Right. Now, now, I'm in the hospital, in North Shore Hospital. I'm admitted. I come out of recovery. I'm laying there. And the guy next to me took like half of his foot off. He's in the hospital room with me in the other bed. He took like half his foot off in like a gardening accident or some shit like that. So here's this guy with a half a foot. I'm laying there miserable. And... I'm hooked up to the morphine dripper. Yeah. So <laughs> I've told this story several times, but it doesn't matter. Um, I read the, the, the nurse was like, listen, if you feel any pain, just click this once or twice. Right. So your pain goes away. Well, that's the wrong person at that point in my life to be telling this yeah. shit to. So I remember clicking it. And I'm like, I feel nothing. Like meaning like I feel no pain at all. So I'm like, this feels pretty good. So I keep clicking. And I remember I was watching Sanford and Son on the TV in the, in the hospital. And I click, 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 clicked it. And I clicked it several times. And the next thing I know, I wake up and there's a mask over my face. And there's a whole bunch of doctors around me and all kinds of stuff coming out of my arms. And the guy next to me said that I OD'd and he called for the bring of people. <laughs> So this guy with a half a foot basically saved my life. Saved your life, yeah. Right, because they opened me up. And yeah, because I'm an idiot, because I, I like to drink and thinking I'm having fun at that point in my life. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, uh, so I wind up signing myself out after like nine days against doctor's orders because I'm an idiot, knucklehead, 19-year-old idiot. So I leave, and do I learn my lesson? Of course not. So I heal up, and do I start drinking? Of course I do. Um, fast forward, 4th of July weekend, 2001, I feel the same symptoms going on. Um, so I'm like, oh, no, not again. But then again, what the hell am I expecting is going to happen? You know what I right. mean? I'm drinking like a maniac because I'm still indestructible Jimmy the idiot. Right. So um, I called up my sister, and I'm like, uh, I'm having an issue. So she comes, she picked me up, she brings me to the hospital. I throw, and I was throwing up bile. I was throwing up so yeah. much bile. I, I had no appetite. I couldn't hold anything down. I'm just throwing up bile. So I go into the, into the emergency room. And the reason why I asked you if they went up your nose and down your throat is because they had to put a scope in. And I remember right. a really big, heavy set nurse was like, come on, kid. And he, she was like, just relax. And she, she starts shoving this frigging tube up my nose. And I'll never forget it because I'm like, I'm you're not supposed to be shoving things up your nose. And, and she's trying to stick it up my nose. And I hear like, because my ears obviously are so close. And, and I, I hear like the cartilage in my nose, like cracking through my own ears, like in it, the worst. 
So they admit me again. Fast forward, turns out it wasn't acute pancreatitis this time, but what it was was there was scar tissue on the inside of my scar was growing over the past seven years that grew to a certain point where it actually, it grew and it kinked off because that also reminds me when you said you had an artery that was like blocked, it kinked off my small intestine. So it, it, it kinked it and it started like doing stuff, whatever it was to my small intestine. So they went into the same scar, they opened me up, they took out six inches of my small intestine, re-sewed it, sewed me back up, and then after a while, sent me on my way. But me being me, I'm like, I'll never forget, I'm laying on the emer- I'm laying on the operating table, and I see that there's like a camera, and it's like a monitor off to the side, and I see where it's focused on my abdomen, and me being a half a wise ass that I always am, I right. asked Dr. I'm like, you going to be videotaping this? And they were like, well, <laughs> I was like, think I can get a copy because I'm twisted <laughs> and I want to see my own surgery because I'll watch the surgery on freaking Discovery Channel. I don't want to see myself. They looked at me, they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, apparently a lot because yeah. I don't learn my lesson because I'm a hard-headed idiot. But yeah, then thank God. I mean, I had my bouts since then, but right. nothing has happened since. But that's my little corny story about my little pancreatitis as opposed to your right. story and Jesus Christ. Oh, so no, I, I, uh, no comparison, but it just, just jogged my memory. About right. Me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I stopped drinking, um, April 11th last year. It was the last day I had to drink. I just, I felt so bad. And I was like, you know, you're talking about your gallbladder and your pancreas and everything. Like I just felt so bad. I was like, maybe this will help. Right. Maybe this is the problem. I'll just feel better. I drink a lot, you know, <clears throat> not like I did in my 20s and 30s. You know? right. but I'd have a couple beers after work still. And yeah, I just shut it down. Yeah. You know, and then as I was still losing weight, that was one thing I was like, well, I'm not drinking anymore. So that's probably why I'm losing weight. Right. You know, and, but, well, you probably had zero appetite, right? Man, you had no appetite. Yeah, no, I barely ate. ate. We went on, like we went. Um, camping with some friends that year. By camping, I mean we stayed in like a trailer by a pond. <laughs> you know, there was no tent. That <laughs> yeah. was a six-year-old and a ten-year-old at that point. We got we're six and eleven now, but right. Um, but uh, we we you know, we go on vacation with them all the time, like every year. And we see them all the time, and she told my like she's a nurse, and she told my wife like there's something wrong with him. Yeah, you know what I mean? He doesn't eat. He's got no energy. You know, yeah. He just looks defeated, different. Yeah. you know, like different or yeah. something. As everybody kept saying it to me, you just look broken. You know what I mean? Your face is like you're giving up on. Right. I'm like, I haven't. I'm going to the doctor. I'm doing. <coughs> but yeah. All right. Let's talk about something more fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Enough with the ailments. Yeah, <laughs> the ailment. The Ailment Podcast is right. Later. Right, that section of this episode is done. <laughs> All right, so now I'll just go back and um, you know, I mean, did you grow up in Worcester with all those other guys? No, I grew up in a town called Raynham, um, which is about thirty miles south of Boston, okay. a million miles away from Worcester. It's like you know, it's not the South Shore, but it's just south of uh, Boston, near like Brockton. Anywhere near Brookline? <laughs> no, nah, Brookline's like a western suburb, a lot closer to Boston. Okay. 
Um, but I grew up in the town next to Bob and we had a, a regional high school. He grew up in Bridgewater. I grew up in Raynham. Okay. And uh, we met because I was looking for a singer for my band. What was the name of that band? There was no name yet. <laughs> we did not have a name. Uh, did Bob tell you the story about how we met? Or? Uh, possibly. No, possibly I don't think so. I no, I don't think so. He might have just touched on it, but it wasn't anything in depth at all. Right. So he came over to my house to well, try each, out. Well, each one of you guys have mentioned each other, but nothing really. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was a junior in high school. He was a freshman. Okay. And the drummer of the band at the time, and then it was me, this kid Rich was a bass player, and this kid Matt was the drummer. And um, he knew Bob, he was, I think uh, he was a sophomore, so like he knew Bob. He was like, well, my friend Bob wants to come try out singing for the band. And I was like, great, you know, we need a singer. So he came over to my house, we're in the basement, we had like, my parents, God bless them, let us, play in the basement and it That's was awesome. torture. Cool parents, man. My mom was a nurse and my dad uh, was a correction officer. So they worked weird hours. So they weren't home a lot during, you know, like, so they missed a lot of it, which was good. All right. But, uh, so Bob comes over to try out singing and, you know, we played like a Metallica song. We played that Sacred Reich independent record was like all one of our favorites at that point. So we always used to play independent. Yeah. Um, and he's terrible. He cannot, <laughs> he still is too. My wife, my wife Lee and him, everywhere we go, anywhere we go, if there's karaoke, they do it. They've been they've been booed out of places <laughs> intercontinentally. Like that's great. They're their terrible singing crosses country barriers. Like, that's it's, awesome. <laughs> it's hated all over the world. But uh, so we took a break and I had a on the other side of our basement, we had like a pool table. And we used to hang out and just shoot pool. So we all went, we were shooting pool. And after like 15 minutes, so Bob asked Matt, he's like, hey, do you mind if I beat on your drums? Right. Like, yeah, no, go ahead. So he goes in there and starts playing drums. And Rich and I look at each other like, oh. Like, wow. Like, he's, he's good really at good some drums. <laughs> <laughs> so we went in and we played with him for a little while. And I can just, my memory of it, which probably isn't true, but it's how I remember it. Right. Matt looking around the door into the room where we were playing going, well, that's it for me. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So we, we broke up and reformed a month later with Bob on drums. Nice. Any band name that yet? No, we're going to skip high school band names. They're terrible. Come on, no way. You cannot do that. You have to <laughs> let me know the cheesy high school band names. I think our, our first one was Blood. Of course it was. <laughs> and then we became prophyria, which was supposed to mean a disease. It was supposed to be a disease that causes insanity. <laughs> and then what, the only thing we could find close to it was porphyria, which was a urinary tract infection. That's awesome. <laughs> so then we changed that. All right. Um, <laughs> And then I think the last incarnation of Bob and I's high school period was a band called Reason to Be. Okay. And that was still terrible. <laughs> and then we, uh, that broke up. 
I don't know why I think I was, it was just, I was so over it. Right. And uh, just the and concept of just the concept of wanting to name your band after a disease that causes insanity is amazing. Seventeen, <laughs> of course, I get it. That's why I love talking about these old cheesy things because they're supposed to be over the top and silly. I love it. Well, um, but yeah. So then, then that's when we found the flyer for Black Belt was looking for a drummer. And Bob like met those guys, and he was, and they were only they only had one guitar player and a bass player at the time. So, I, uh, you know, Bob asked, was like, well, my friend, you know, plays guitar, you know, can he come too? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So then we did we did Black Belt, and we put out a demo and a CD. We did a tour, um, all the way to Florida and back, which was fun and cool. We spelled Pittsburgh wrong on the uh, on the tour shirt. Nice, did you? Yeah, awesome. Left the H out at the end. <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say if either you left the H out or you only put one T. <laughs> no, left the H out. Got the H. Didn't realize it until we got home from the tour. But it was good. We only sold like four shirts, so it didn't right. do any damage. Do you have one still? No, I don't have. Uh, I don't think I have anything left. Okay. From that, we've moved so many times at this point that gotcha. It's just well away. And then Black Belt broke up. And uh, in that time frame, like, I was booking a lot of shows. So, like, doing, I was doing shows um, in different, like, VFW halls. And there's a place in New Hampshire, which is really far away, but they'd let you, you know, book the show. It was, like, 200 bucks to rent the room. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. So I would do shows up there. And I did a show for... Uh, uh, I did a show for Reese's Sky, like the first inclination of it. It was like, I did, I think I did 10 yard fight and it might've actually still, I think Black Belt was still around. It was like, I think it was, I want to say it was 10 yard fight and Reese's Sky and Black Belt. And it was like 20 kids showed up, but like I made sure I paid the band. And then I went out and had pizza with Ian and Danny, who was the bass player at the time. And he was just like, you know, what are you up to? What are you doing? You know, this and that. And like you guys like talking about Black Belt, like how did you guys get to Florida and how did you do this and how did you do that? And, you know, we just shot the shit. And then after Black Belt broke up, Ian called me and was like, hey, do you want to, you know, want to come play guitar for Reach the Sky? And I was like, fuck yeah. I'd love to. The demo was just out in the first seven inch. So I started on guitar and we went through a cascade of drummers um, and we had Bob come and try out the first time he showed up and, you know, he was Bobby and running his stuff and he was late and loud and, you know, and Ian had a, uh, somebody else that he wanted to play. So they ended up getting the job at that point. And then like six months later, that kid quit and then we called Bobby back. We're like, you still want to do it? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. So that's how Bobby jumped on. And nice. And then we just kind of went out and did a bunch of shit and, and then not, going not, and going. And then what, what year is this? What year, what year did you say would you? This is probably 98. Okay. Like 98. So like, okay. So like the next year you put out your first EP. Yeah. So we, and then we put out, well, we put out, uh, we put out our first full length in 99, in the end, October of 99. 
So right, Which so is, far from yeah, right. So so far from home was '99, and right when that came out, that's when Danny, our bass player, um, his girlfriend was pregnant, and you know he was like he didn't even have a driver's license. You know he was like 21, grew up in this, like a small town, like yeah. Yeah, he was a really good kid, sweet kid, and like he was just I gotta, I gotta go get put my life together. I can't do this. I gotta get my shit together. Yeah, I'm gonna have a kid. So, Lacroix, John Lacroix from Ten Yard Fight, played bass for a little bit, filled in while we were trying out bass players, and I just came one day. I was like, let's just do it as a four piece, like, you know what I mean? Like we were about to go on a tour that had no end to it. Like Ian quit his job. Um, you know, I was able to, to, I was like a part-time, I worked for a newspaper and I was a part-time driver. I was in the union. So I could, as long as I worked a certain amount of hours a year, I was, I still held my status. So they couldn't fire me. So I would take three, four months off and then I'd come home and work, you know, like 60, 70 hours a week when I was home because they needed the help. So, but you know, we were about to embark on this, like, this life that we didn't know what was going to be. And like to bring like a stranger after the four of us have kind of like been doing it and doing these long weekends, yeah. and, you know, spending all this time doing it. Like it just didn't make sense. So I was like, I brought it up. I was like, let's get, you know, we'll use my guitar amp. We'll get Chris a pedal and I'll play bass. And we'll just go as a four piece. There'll be more room in the van. Yeah. Less of, less of nothing to split. Cause you know, at that time you're making, there's no, not making any money. Doing right. That. Of course not. And so, is what we did. Yeah. And we did it from like 99 to the end of 2002. Or no, it was like the October or so of 2002 was when we stopped. Like we toured straight. Right. And we'd come home, we'd have the a couple last, weeks the last, off. Yeah, the last thing you guys put out was what? Um, Transient Hearts? Yep. Okay. So we put out that EP. And it was just kind of like, we just did it. And I think Ian was itching to go back to work, kind of straighten his life out. Because like I said, like we weren't making any money. Like we were doing, you know, support acts, opening acts on bigger tours. And sure. just, you know, and then we'd go out on our own and like, and just, we were just racking up debt and just pushing it forward, pushing it forward, you know, pay off when we get a lump sum, like pay something off to go with this. And then right. when we go home, we'd all had our little part-time jobs or, or whatever we could do. And just try to save up, you know, save up for the next adventure, right? Which was great, you know. I mean, I was we were in our early twenties, you know, so it's just yeah. fun time. Awesome, yeah, know? I joined the band I think when I was twenty-one. You know what I mean? So it was like twenty-one to twenty-four, twenty-five, and by then, like we've gone to Japan. You know, awesome. like not not a lot of bands were going to Japan at that point. Only like the big guys, like sick of it all, and. You know, those guys were the ones they, they broke in. We had a kid came to a show in San Francisco and he came to the merch table. We were on tour with the Misfits. It was the Misfits, the uh, Michael Graves era. Okay. Misfits. It was Misfits, Ignite, and Reach the Sky. And we were in San Francisco. And uh, this, these, this kid comes up to us, Japanese kid, and he's just like, you know, I liked your, I liked your band. And we're like, awesome. And he wanted to buy a CD. And we're like, Sure, here, take three. You know, if you want a t-shirt, like we weren't selling any, nobody gave a shit about us on that tour. Like we weren't right. selling anything. And this kid, like, we just gave him 
like a ton of stuff. And lo and behold, he emailed us six months later. He's like, I want to bring you to Japan someday. You know, I'm going to wow. figure out how I want to, I want you to, it was just from being nice to him at a show where yeah, nobody, you know, nobody was paying attention to us anyway, but. Right. But you never know. You gotta, that's why you gotta be nice to people. You know, that's know. it. Just, you just be nice. You never know. It's easier. It's, it's really simple. You when, know? when people are freaking out and going crazy on you and you sit there with a shit eating grin on your face. Oh yeah. It just, it just quells them right down. It's just it's, like, it's. Yeah. Like, sorry, man. Oh, well, you know, uh, roll, roll off your shoulders, man. Uh, so now, now you got, you guys ended at the end of 2002. So we did, long? we ended in uh, February of 2003. We did a tour with most precious blood. Okay. Um, and we announced it like the day we left for the tour. Like we just announced it on like the internet or whatever. Like, Hey, this is it. We're, we're wrapping up. We're doing these two weeks and we're wrapping it up. And that was crazy because it started as the show, the last show of the tour was in the upstairs Palladium in the small room. And by the time, you know, word got out that it was our last show and everything, by the time, you know, we got home, it was, they moved the show downstairs. Wow. So, and I'll never forget it. He walked out there and looked around at the crowd and he said, if quarter of you fucking people showed up half the time, we wouldn't be breaking up. <laughs> well, it's true. Unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, we'll see them next time. We'll see them next time. We'll yeah. see them to all that. Of course. The curse of the touring hardcore band. We'll oh my God. Yeah. So. so now, all right. So in between that, I mean, what did you do for those several years before you joined Bane? Or or how did you wind up joining Bane? Because I know that yeah. you you only recorded the World Series seven inch yep. seven so, inch set. Right. Right. So in 2003, I went to work as a guitar tech for the Dropkick. Okay. So I first off, well, I, I took a full-time job at the newspaper that I worked at in February. And uh, I was on tour with the Dropkicks in June. <laughs> so I just, I went to work for like a month and I looked at my wife and I was like, this isn't working. It's the same job I've had for 11 years doing the same exact thing. Right. But, you know, you go in the bar next door and the guy that's worked there for 30 years, look at you and go, hey, what's going on? Where are you going next? What's the next adventure? And I was like, there isn't one. I'm right. Full time. Get married in September. Oof. You know, like, I'm going to stay home. And he was just like, oh, that sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> so the drop kicks, I was actually... Um, I was offered, Scott Vogel actually called me at the time and asked if I wanted to join Terror. Love Scott Vogel. Love I love him too. And he was just explaining to me like their schedule, and this was 2003, so they were still, they were just starting to pick up traction and, you know, like, but they were on the Reach of Sky schedule. It was just take every tour you can, I, do everything you can. Well, you, also did a, you also did a split with Buried Alive in what, 2000? Yep. Yeah, yeah we, and we did an All Out War Buried Alive tour too. Awesome. awesome. Love, love All Out War. Love Mike. Yeah. Best dudes tour ever. Yeah, man. Um, and so, and when, and the big one for me was they were going to be in Australia when I was getting married. And I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I wasn't ready. Like, I, right. I was, and I remember the phone call. I was in my newspaper truck in the middle of the fucking woods somewhere delivering newspapers and just like <laughs> talking on the phone. And I was, I just can't, can't do it. Right. So, 
So I ended up, I went to work in Bermuda Sky, actually, you know, kind of hooked up the job with the Dropkicks. We toured with them in Europe, and we did a U.S. and European tour with them in 2001. So I knew them, spent a lot of time with them. We shared a bus with them in Europe. And, you know, Ken called and asked if I would if I'd come work for them. And they were going out on the work tour that summer. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I will. Yeah. So I went out and I did that for, um, you know, a couple of years, like four or five, I think, full time. Like that was my gig. Like I became the stage manager and, like, you know, that's they were growing and growing and growing. Yeah. Um, and then in 2006, or 2000, yeah, 2006, this girl, Stephanie, um, Stephanie Doherty, who used to sing with the Dropkick, she would sing the song The Dirty Glass. She was starting a band and working on, wanted to work on a record and stuff. So I started kind of helping them write songs. And then I ended up playing guitar for her band for a couple of years. And I was still working for the Dropkicks and doing that. And uh, we went to, we actually did a US tour with the Dropkicks and did a European tour. What was, the, what was the name of the girl's band? It was called The Deadly Sins. Okay. It was put out, you know, Dirty Mick from California? Yes. Dirty yeah, was put out, yeah. Yeah, he put it out. Um, I love him to death. And I still apologize to this day for that record and all the things that transcribed with that band. It was a disaster. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm unfamiliar with it, so I have no opinion. <laughs> right. No, no, the record was great. Like, the band was awesome, but like she lived in Vegas. And we all lived in Boston. Um, and this kind of ties into with, with Bane because, um, so at this point I kind of like took a step back from full time with the drop picks and I was doing like, they got, they hired someone else to take my role and they had a, you know, a guy. And so I just kind of became, if one of the guys couldn't do a tour, they called me and I'd go out with them, you know? So I was just kind of like a part-time guy now with them and, um, and I was doing my new band and I was working the Boston's got back together in 2006 and last minute they were doing the home throwdown at this club called the middle East. And like a week before a friend of mine that worked for them called me and was like, Hey, I know you're trying to wean your way out of like being a guitar tech and stuff, but you come help me with the throwdown. And I was like, yeah, I was going to call you and ask to go to a couple of the shows. Yeah. So yeah, I'll go help. So I started, um, so I did those and then their manager, you know, asked like, Hey, they're going to be doing like weekends and little things. Like they don't do much because Dickie has the TV show with Jimmy Kimmel. Right. But they're going to be doing stuff. Would you want the job? So I, that's how I ended up working for the Boston. I worked for them for like 10 fucking years. Oh, really? Um, I, I only, I only saw drop kicks, believe it or not, only once in my life. And that was in 2006 at, I think it's called the Best Buy Theater now, but it was a Nokia theater in New York. Right. And I was familiar with the Boston's, but not too much. But I went there because Sick of It All was direct support. Right. For the drop kicks or the bus? For the drop kicks. For the drop kicks. Yeah, we... Yeah, I was on that tour. It was, God forbid, a band called The Horror Pops. Yep, The Horror Pops. Yeah, and... and uh, sick and, of It All. And Sick of It All and Drop Kicks, yeah. I ended up, I actually, I went out and tour managed Sick of It All that summer. Really? Um, yeah, it was the Sick of It All Stretch Armstrong First Blood Tour. Wow. Never tour managed before, but our Armand was like, 
you know, you want to come, you want to roll with us and, you know, reach the sky's done shows with them. And I've known them forever. They, they, uh, they coined me the, uh, I was the sloth. <laughs> they came up with, you know, Mikey, right? Noodles. Noodles. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a long Island squirrel. They called me the sloth because I was very slow. Didn't really rush to get anything done. We just kind of, you know, we'll get around to it. But, yeah, we'll know. get to it. <laughs> yeah, but they were great. They they were fun. Like, I had to borrow a computer. To, like, I didn't own a computer. You know what I mean? I had to, like, borrow one to, to like, set uh-huh. up shows or manage, send emails. <laughs> like, oh, it was ridiculous. It was a bus tour. I remember it was... Oh my God, the end of the tour, we were in Chicago and they were flying to Europe and Armand was going to, um, uh, what's the name of the airport there? Is O'Hare. He was flying out of O'Hare and the rest of the band was flying out of Midway. Okay. And so the bus driver, I gave him all his directions and his notes and I was like, don't worry about Armand. He's good. Band's going to Midway. I'm, in, I'm asleep. We go early in the morning, like 6, 7 a.m. The drop-off goes. I'm still kind of asleep. I wake up. Guys are gone. Everybody's gone. I sit down next to the bus driver in the, in the passenger seat. He's like, oh, man, it's so cool. I ain't never been to O'Hare Airport before. <laughs> and I was like, what are we doing at O'Hare? <laughs> We're supposed to be at Midway. Right. Fuck. Don't start dialing. Turn this thing around. <laughs> start dialing Pete and fucking Lou like somebody Craig answer the phone somebody answer the phone you're at the wrong fucking airport <laughs> they get on they get on and like I never saw Pete mad but like he just he didn't say a word he just walked by and sat down and we high-tailed ass to fucking the other airport and dropped them off and I was like oops guys. <laughs> awesome but no it was cool it was fun but yeah. so in 2008, you know, I found out my wife, you know, we were expecting our first child in January of 2009. So that summer was kind of crazy for me. I was working like three weird jobs. I was like a courier for some company, like a car courier in the city. Um, I was working, I had a contract with the MBTA that like I was their parking facilities monitor for the train. Okay. Larrabee, Larrabee worked for the MBTA, the singer reached the sky. So he was like, I just need a guy I can trust. So we worked up and he got me a contract and I just drove around and checked out. They were like changing the companies that oversaw the, all the parking facilities all over the state for all of the train systems. Yeah. And he just needed someone to make sure people were actually doing what they said they were doing. So right. I drove around the state of Massachusetts, drinking coffee and checking out parking lots. There you go. I don't know if you've ever spent time in a train parking lot, but I have not. <laughs> not a lot going on. I didn't think there would be. <laughs> so I think it was like August in 08, Bobby called me and was like, hey, we need someone to, you know, go to Canada with us for like three weeks. You know, any chance you're around? And I was like, yeah. I go, let me run it by, you know, Lee and see what she thinks. But I'm, you know, I'm really not doing much right now. And we had a baby on the way. And um, so, yeah, I could, I could try this out. Cool. Yeah. And so 
I said yes. So I was going to, the plan was I was going to do the couple shows out to the West Coast. And then we were doing a tour um, through the noise tour with Comeback Kid. It was like Comeback Kid, Misery Signals, and Shia Lude. So tour ends, and then we go and meet up, or we go meet up with H2O in, in Detroit, and it was like H2O, Cruel Hand, Energy, Bane tour. And nice. so Nate, who played drums for, or played guitar for Cruel Hand, um, when Bobby couldn't do tours or he had something else going on, or Nate would fill in. So right. Bobby couldn't. Well, at that time, wasn't really doing more than three or four weeks at a time okay. because of his son and his work and trying to, you know, balance everything. Sure. So Nate was going to take over in Boston after Halloween. Well, Nate would take over in Philly after the Boston show on Halloween. So that was where I would jump off too. Um, so <clears throat> I went to the Bain. We'll call it a practice space. Okay. But it was just a this weird like warehouse in Worcester, like fenced in the, the trailer and the van were there, um, but the van didn't work. So we had to rent a van. Um, we rented one of those green vans, like the, initial, the original like uh, ran on vegetable oil type van for this tour from Andy Green. Like we had half of the trailer was a giant tank of oil. Oh my god! That was our gas. Like we would just pull a gas pump out of it and fill up. And so all these destinations. But so I went to this place, and it was the land of where merch died. It was like any Bane T-shirt from the last ten years <laughs> was there, and it's just stuff everywhere. And we set up. And it was. I remember we set up. It was me, Zach, and uh, it was me, Zach, and Bob the first time. We kind of ran through the songs that they asked me to learn. I, you know, had some questions, but did pretty good. And then we got together like a couple days later with D-Dard was there. Dollback was on tour with Only Crime at the time. Okay. And Dollback was actually going to meet us in Portland, Oregon. So we were doing the first couple shows just across the country to get out to the West Coast just as a four-piece. So we had my, I had my two quick practices, went out to Worcester. We were supposed to leave at like, 10 o'clock or something. And we ended up leaving around two. <laughs> of course. <laughs> stopped at EVR on the way to pick up merch. Uh-huh. So, you know, we got, and the show was in Syracuse. So we got to Syracuse around 9.30. It was in like a skate park. We were playing on the ramp. <laughs> and uh, just set up and, you know, we got there and rushed. We got everything in. Our friend Mike set up merch. We like just, threw everything on there. And I just remember Bedard handing me a piece of paper. And I know you, you say you have a couple set lists, right? I do. So you see what they look like. I did. They're all the exact same handwriting. It's him. But it's like Ali. Oh, yeah. Short, short. short. Yes. Some. Some. Yeah. And And I'm looking at it and I'm like. My. How about just my? My. Yeah. I'm looking at it going what the fuck is this? Where are the song titles? Like, uh, it like, then I like full on panic comes over me. Like, what am I doing? Like, what's happening? And then it was just like a whirlwind, man. The guard came up and started talking and we jumped into the first song. And next thing you know, like 
blew through the whole set and I was like, this is fucking awesome. This is so much fun. Like it's been so long since I've been in like hardcore band, just, you know, like, yeah, so cool. Did you play, did you play that show? Obviously you've listened. Did you play that show that, uh, that sick of it all show with Bane? You were there, uh, you were playing yeah. them at the time. I was playing bass at that point. That was like 08 or 09 or something. That was 09. Yeah, in 09. So yeah. June of 09. June of 09, yeah. So, but yeah, I did, uh, we did, we played Milwaukee like the next night and then like somewhere, some place in South Dakota and then we got to Portland and Dahlbeck joined in and I think we were like four or five shows into on the way back and the through the noise tour and zach was just like um and seager from cruel hand was supposed to take over on bass um but to this day we're not sure if he actually learned the songs yet <laughs> by that point right but um zach was just kind of one night like i really wish you could stay like this is a lot of fun and i was like i wish i could stay too yeah <laughs> you know? I'm having a good time. So yeah. I called I called my wife and I was just like, hey, like this is going really, really well. What do you think if I just added another five weeks to it? <laughs> How'd that go over? She it went over really well. She's been supportive of me my whole life. You know, we've been doing That's we've been great. together since the beginning of Reach the Sky. We've been married for almost 17 years. So, so she kind of knew what she was getting into. <laughs> I told her, like, our first phone conversation, I was like, I, I drive a newspaper truck, I play in a hardcore band, and I live with my friends. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I was 21, you know, I was like, this is my, this is my deal. And so, and then, it's true, we met at a death threat show, so. Nice. <laughs> so. All right, so, so, she, so she knows the deal. But yeah, and, you know, like, we were moving... Um, we were moving at the same time, like on November 1st, we were moving out of a condo into a house that we were renting and, uh, that we were going to rent. And, um, but we had like, we hired movers, she was pregnant, you know, so we hired movers anyway. And like, so she ended up having to do the move on her own, but I stayed, which was crazy because, you know, we did the first couple of H2O shows. We got to Boston on Halloween. We had a great time. I went home, got up and met the van in the morning, drove to Philly, not even really thinking about it. We went from our canola oil van <laughs> to we all then piled into the cruel hand van. Okay. So now there's like 12, 13 people in this oh van God. and just like just humming it. Like fuck, like Zach was always like, fuck it, let's just do, you know, we're only gone for a short period of time. So it's like you bare bones it as much as you can. And, you know, it comes out in the end. So, but we get to Philly, go out to eat, go to the show, hang out. And I just remember it was like another, oh shit moment. I turned around and I look at Nate and I've never, I've never heard him play the drums. Right. Let alone like played a note of music with them. And now we're in a sold out show at the church in Philly. Like, awesome. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Take one all over that, again. I love that the church in Philly rules, man. Oh, so awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I, I stayed and I did that tour. And then, um, you know, like they they needed someone to go to Europe in March that year. So I went, you know, the next year. So I went to Europe and then it kind of became like, you know, do you want to, you want to, 
you know, you know, you want to just do it, you know, because Pete wasn't really able to do anything. He he did a couple like one offs and little things in between that, but yeah. Um, then you decided yeah. to get into the studio. So yeah, and then we so we did that, and then we were in Europe, I think, when they were like, we need to write some songs, and they came up with the idea for the seven inches and stuff, and so we wrote a lot of that um, that seven inch in Europe, like just that sound check practicing at sound check every day, which was something they never, we never really sound checked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we took the opportunity of having all the time all day, you know, in Europe yeah. to just to do it. So it's awesome. yeah, we did it. We went in the studio and recorded songs and, you know, you've heard from all the other guys. It was what it you know, was. What it was. Yeah. I, I still this day, I love those songs. So do I. So do I. They're great songs. Yeah. What song, because obviously I, I know, I don't remember every specific, I remember the final show vividly. What did you come out and play on? Um, I believe I played on Wrong Planet from the new record. Yes. Because we started writing that um, when I was still in the band. We got together a couple times in that winter and uh, practiced and started kind of writing to just see what would happen. Okay. Um, you know, what you know, there was no real plan of anything, but great song. You know, and they asked, like, they asked me, you know, hey, is it cool if we? And I was like, Abs- yeah, absolutely. It's just like the one major part of the song or whatever we came up with. So, yeah. You know, and they finished it, of course. And so I did Ron Planet, and then I did Both Guns Blazing. I think. Awesome. Which, yeah, I always that was the one that you know, whenever after I I left, whenever I go to a show and they'd have me come up, I'd always play that one nice so awesome yeah yeah man and then all right well i don't know and then you eventually i, I guess life i mean you life yeah. yeah so and so 2012 came by that time like dude we went everywhere we went to china southeast asia south america like i went i was gone one time for three and a half months wow and i came home and i like my daughter was probably like nine months old at the time. And I was just like, my wife and my wife works full time. So when I would go on tour, we were lucky because her mother, her parents live in Connecticut and her mother, her dad would drive her mother up, excuse me, and drop her off at the house on Sunday night and go home. And he'd come back Friday afternoon and pick her up and drive her home. And, you know, they'd go out for the weekend, but she would come she would stay with my wife and watch, you know, my daughter, Nora, when, when I was gone. So we had that like built in family, you know, able to help us with the kids. So, but that three and a half months, like I just thought the look on her face when we got home, like we had a cookout at our house um, before our Providence show. It was like two or three shows left on the tour. So we came home and we had a cookout and all the bands on the tour came. Um, you know, like to the house, it was great, but like just the look in her eye, like it was like, there's not like this was, this was a long one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long time away, man. So, yeah. So, um, it just, we were just going and going and going. And like, I think by 2012, we, uh, you know, we kind of, we finished the shows for the year. And we're like, we got to get together and we got to talk. Like, what are we going to do? What do we want to do? What's everybody thinking? 
So we got together, we went and had burritos and just sat and shot the shit. And, you know, Zach and Bedard were very, I want to do it all again. Like, I want to go back to South America. I want to go back to, you know, I want to go all these places. Let's do it all. Let's do another lap. Let's do it all this year. We were planning on going to Australia, I think, in like March, April of that year or something. And like, to start and like, just want to go, 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 go. And I, and I just, I listened and I was quiet and I didn't want to like say anything. And I was just thinking in the back of my head, I was like, do I have it in me? You know what I mean? Like, I went to Southeast Asia with them twice. Wow. You know, and I was lucky. Like, we went, the second time we went, we went to Japan first. And um, it was this band, the FC5, it was their last show. And Bane did a lot. Like, when they toured Japan, they toured with FC5. They brought FC5 to the U.S. for a tour. You know, they brought them to Europe, I think, for a tour. Like, you know what I mean? So they did a lot with these guys. So the FC5 wanted Bane to play their final shows. So sure. it was like three shows in the Tokyo area. And then we were going to Southeast Asia. And I was lucky enough, um, we were staying with one of the guys in FC5 at their at his family home. And Pete was coming and there was a couple of people coming. So I, you know, my wife, Lee, I was like, hey, after Southeast Asia, we have like four days off in Seattle before the show we were playing in Seattle. Like, you wanna come you know, you and Nora come to Seattle and she's like, oh, that might be fun. But, you know, we've already been, she's been to Seattle before. And uh, she looked it up. She's like, well, for the same price of me and Nora going to Seattle, I could go to Japan. <laughs> so oh, I asked the guys, I was like, yeah, is it cool if, you know, she comes to Japan with us? And then when we bounce to Southeast Asia, she's going to fly home. And, you know, everyone was cool with it. So she came to Japan for the five days in Japan, too. So that's awesome. Yeah. So that was, it was just cool to be able to share that with her because, you know, usually it's Worcester, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. or like Providence yeah. or New York City, which, you know, she loved coming to New York City and Philly and stuff. Yeah. But it's you know, to be able different. To go. across the pond, different culture, different scenery. It's awesome. Yeah. So it, it worked out. Um, and it was fun, but like on that Southeast Asia tour, I just remember like running around and doing like going all the places and being like, you know, like, oh, I've been here before. I remember this and this and that. And just at the end of the day, like looking up like at Facebook and seeing what they were doing at home, what happened and pictures. And my daughter was, you know, like she was three at the time. Yeah. So, and then, and of course, that was that October before we had the meeting and everything, we found out that our second daughter, Lennon, was going to be due and, you know, coming in June. So she turned seven on Friday. Well, happy birthday. But uh, so I just, I went home and I sat on it for a couple of days and I, I told Lee, I was like, I think I'm, I think I'm done. Right. I think I'm good. There was, you know, I was working, doing a lot of like production work at home, like working as a stagehand, working as a runner, uh, working for all three companies that were doing shows in yeah in Massachusetts, you know. Yeah. And so I just saw there was kind of a a couple opportunities that if I knew that if I if I jumped then, if I got off the road then, I knew that I might be able to get, you know, to a point. Because there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of production manager jobs right. in the city. You know what I mean? There's only a few clubs that there's only, you know, like a handful of clubs and then 
there's a handful of guys that do all the arenas and everything. So sure. I knew, you know, like, and I was working, doing, working at the House of Blues a lot. And I knew I could get in there as a stage manager in May, like over that next summer of 13, because the guy was, that was stage manager at the time was retiring. So there was going to be like an option. Like if I made the commitment now, yeah, starting that winter, like I felt like I could, I could get to where I needed to be, like having a real job. Sure. You know, yeah, man. two kids and stuff. So yeah. I wrote a little. I wrote an email, you know, just saying like, "Thank you for the last five years. This was amazing. It's such sure. a gift to like be able to do it again." Because Reach the Sky was so like, just head down like we gotta go 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 and bane was just more relaxed like we'll get there when we get there and yeah oh, look you know there's a mall let's go <laughs> like you know, it was just such a low-key touring environment and it was just hanging out with your friends yeah. everywhere we went you know random people would get in the van and places and then the next thing you know they're there for the next couple of weeks and yeah it's great it's good so awesome so yeah i i I just couldn't do it anymore. And I, I sent the email and I think Aaron Bedard was the one that was like, damn, this is like a straight up breakup letter. <laughs> like, awesome. you know, I just, you know, but that's when I think Chris, uh, Chris Linkovich jumped in and uh, played for a while. And then that's when they kind of, you know, I guess met up again a couple of times and had a, you know, discussion on what they were going to do for the last couple of years, you know, last three yeah. years of the band. Which was mostly the whole final tour. Yeah. So it was yeah. just tour, 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 tour. Yeah. Fuck, man. That's yeah. awesome. So now what are your thoughts on, um, well, what are your thoughts? Obviously, you've, you've seen the, the screening of the documentary already, right? Mm-hmm. What did you come away thinking about it? The same, it's, it's an amazing story. I learned a lot about those guys. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Uh, Everybody has the same consensus about yeah. it. Everyone thought it was above it, beyond their expectations. It's cool. It, it was really cool. You know, I can't wait to see it. Um, yeah, no, it was, he did, he did a really good job on it. It tells a story and the story is cohesive. And, yeah. You know, I think it's really cool. Yeah. Now, that's Lennon. <laughs> Hi. Is that, is that, is that the she held out as she held out as long as she could. That's awesome. <laughs> Hi, Lennon. Did you just turn seven on Friday? No, this Friday coming up. Oh, this Friday coming up. Well, happy birthday. Happy early birthday. Ooh, happy. What do you say? She's got a mouthful of food. That's right? fine. That's fine. Yeah, nine. What is it? Nine twenty. She's still uh-huh. snacking away. Awesome. <laughs> she loves her her favorite thing in the uh, coronavirus age is Zoom bombing. Oh, uh, that's all right. Well, she does it to my wife is on Zoom all day long with meetings. That's it's awesome. Kids doing, kids doing things that, that kids are doing things that kids should do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a 10 year old little girl myself, so I completely get it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. So let me ask you. Um, what would uh, this is all, always hypothetical, and I ask everybody this: um, What would you think if? What are your thoughts about Bane ever playing again, even if it's full time or just a couple of runs here and there? Would you like to see them go out and do it again? 
Um, well, I mean, I come from Reach the Sky, who we we came back when, 2008 or nine. <laughs> yeah. So, after we broke up. This is hardcore one of those years. We did. We, uh, we, did uh, we came back for Burning Fight gotcha. in Chicago. And, um, you know, and that's when, like, obviously we were in, you know, me, Bob, Bobby were in a van again together and we were doing it. We were trying, like, we got the offer and Ian was down to do it. So we tried, Chris ended up having a conflict of um, schedule and he couldn't, he was going to Europe with his band or something for a month. He couldn't do it. So we were like, fuck it, let's do it anyway. Me, Zach and Bob play every day. Right. You know, let's ask Zach to do it. So that's how Zach kind of entered into the reach the sky world. And, you know, it was just insert singer. You know, it's the three of us still doing what we do. And so that made, that made reach the sky getting back together a lot easier. Awesome. But I mean, I, I think the way they went out was beautiful. Yes. You I know agree. What I mean? And I like the way Reach the Sky Reach the Sky's last show was awesome. You know, like the right. first last show or whatever. Um was awesome. And getting back together was awesome. It was different, but it was fun to just hang out again. Yeah. And to, you know, like, you know, be able to hang out with Ian and I come up to practice and listen to him, you know, panic about everything and you know, <laughs> go crazy about all of it. Yeah. Um so I think. At the end of the day, you got to do what your heart tells you to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look poorly upon them if they decided to do it. I would be there. You know, hopefully oh, I'll be there. I would be there, too, with a shitty you know. on my face. But, yeah, but, I mean, with my, like, you know, with, you know, I believe Dahlback said it, like, for all of us, with me getting sick, it was just like a eye-opening kind of experience for everybody like they've you know those guys like we've really stepped up the phone calls and the text messages and the hangouts and everything like yeah you know like zach zach has taken me to appointments and bedard comes to chemo nick came to a chemo one day and bobby hangs out all the time over here because he only lives a couple towns over yeah. all back before the pandemic you know he was coming up every two weeks when he was roasting his coffee coming by and like everybody's just made such an effort and we've and we've hung out we've gone on like we have a barbecue every year we like you know some of us have gone on like vacation together like depending like different members that can do it at the time yeah you know what i mean we've been hanging out since the band stopped but like i think you know um i think that the last year has kind of changed like pete and carla live way out in Western Mass and they drive two hours to come hang out, you know, we can get together. Right. Like, it's just amazing. Like the, you know, like, it is. so I think, of course, you know, being the luck that we all have that, you know, when the juices really started flowing about talking about all of this and, you know, we're in a fucking world that you can't, <laughs> you can't have more than 10 people in a, inside. Insane. So, so, and I don't know when it's going to get any better. So I don't know. Right. You know, we're at least we're at least a year away from pushing those guys to right. Go back. Maybe, to maybe all this will marinate a little bit, and 
they'll make a decision. Yeah, but I think, you know, whatever they choose to do is what's going to be the yeah. right decision. Absolutely. For them, you know, and it's, it's like, I wouldn't mind seeing them play. I would love to go to another Bane show. But then again, at the end of the day, if they decided not to, it's like you said, and I agree a thousand percent, the way they ended everything was perfect. It was yeah. beautiful. So, so it's hard to come back from that. You know, it's hard to, of course. Of to course. come back from that. But, but like I said, you know, listening to the podcast and listening to the way that you know, some of them feel like, "Fuck, what did we do?" Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I, like, I think yeah. that, you know, I say, I at this point, I'm on the fence. I say, flip a coin. That's, <laughs> that's really yeah, but you, yeah, you want to flip that coin every week until you get the right answer. <laughs> of course, I do. I, I'll admit, I do. Oh. Well, dude, this was this was awesome, man. And and listen, God, and then. I will put it out there. Like we said in the beginning, um, your your GoFundMe page that Sonny set up, it's it's surpassed $25,000 in less than 24 hours. Um, but he did up the goal to $50,000. Um, this is dropping, we're on podcast right now, this is dropping in a few weeks. So hopefully already, right. if people are listening, that, that goal is already met. But today, I looked earlier today, and it was over $33,000. Oh wow! Really? Over thirty-three, close to thirty-four thousand. Um, that's earlier this afternoon. I looked. Um, so, if anybody can donate anything, um, it's hate56.com. It's h-a-t-e the number five s-i-x dot com slash stew s-t-u, and just if you can, everything and anything helps. Um, but I will ask you, like I do everyone else, unless it's taken already, you must end this episode with a Bane song. And there's, hold on, I have my little list. One, two, three. I, I know, the, I've, I've been paying attention. Yeah, but, uh, but, yeah but there's, there's eight songs that you cannot pick. Oh, because of the other guys too, right? Right, but, but yes, yesterday I did, one, I did two already. Even though you're the second in the volume, I already did volume four of the Bane series and, and Pete's yesterday. So, right. who was uh, who was the other one? Who was the other one? What? Who was the other person that you interviewed for? Can you oh, Stephen Fallis. Oh, you talked to Steve already for a very long time. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Steve. Steve actually came out here. Uh, what was that in January? He came out in January. He just he like emailed us one day. He's like, "I'm coming out. I'll be there for like two weeks. Is that okay?" I'm like, yeah. yeah, man, come on. He came out. Man, he like helped us helped us around the house. Like he fixed things I didn't even know were broken. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, that's yeah, awesome. He, he I never met him. He was he was a sweetheart of a guy, and I had like a two hour conversation with him. I'm sure he's yeah. He can, he can talk. He can. Right, no, he I'm admits like, it. He was like, I don't know if people are gonna want to listen to me for that long, but but that's in two episodes from now, kids, that you're listening and watching this. Right. But I uh, love Steve so much. But, okay. So, so end on a Bane song, man. And like I said, if if you name, I kind of have a feeling you're going to say something that you mentioned before, but you can't use it. But go I can't on. use it? Okay. So both gun blazing is gone? Yes. <laughs> okay, that's all right. Um, let's see. Uh, 
Hmm. It's hard, right? It's so hard. <laughs> it is. It is. I know. Some... What? <laughs> Nothing. My wife just walked by and I was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, let's go with... Uh... Oh, God. Let's see. But I put you on the spot still. Well, you took, I thought I was good. I've been listening to all the podcasts. I thought I was safe. I had my, my well, song. You were going to pick both guns blazing? Of course I was. My favorite song. <laughs> As um, you said that, when you said that before, I'm like, I have a feeling he's going to pick that, but he can't. All right. Has anybody taken Count Me Out? No. Uh, I'm going to go with Count Me Out. Hey, man, it's a classic. Always in the set list. No. It's all. Awesome. So Sounds we'll like a plan. Count me out. Listen, Stu, first, thank you for your time. No, no problem. Um, I wish you, honestly, nothing but the best. I appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Shout out to your wife. Shout out to everybody. Um, I will also thank everybody that's helped you. Um, and... Yeah, I can't say it enough, man. I wish you nothing but the best and a full recovery sooner rather than later. For real. No, it's a, it's a long road, but I'm not going to stop fighting. I know you're not. And you got a lot of people on your side. So I, I got a lot of people I got I to gotta account for now. Right. <laughs> you know? You'll be and I just, just one more time, I just want to thank everybody that, that has thought of me and put in whatever they could, you know, just to help my family makes it's just amazing and i can't you know i can't say it enough but thank you to everybody that's pushing for me yeah uh, and thank you for for letting me uh babble on for an hour and a half dude uh, the pleasure was all mine i appreciate your time dude awesome and, and we'll definitely be in touch and i'll let you know exactly when this is going to drop and blah blah blah, yeah. blah blah and all that nonsense great but, uh, once again have a great night and thank you so much, Stu. Awesome. Thank you. Anytime. All right. Good night, man. Good night. Good night.